Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning there in the wiggle room. It's always good to see you over there. I hope you're doing well this morning. Are you all dry in here? All right, it's nice and dry in here. Thank you for making uh, the effort to be here this morning. It's always great to worship together on any Sunday morning, no matter what the weather is like. We are currently in a month-long series on basically the doctrine of God's Word. In week one, on New Year's Day, we focused our attention on the authority of God's Word. In week two, last Sunday, we looked at the reliability of God's Word. This morning, we're going to focus our attention on the clarity of God's Word. And that's the title of this morning's message, the clarity of God's Word. Now, I imagine most of us like things when they are clear. I like clear things. You know, on a long road trip, after miles and miles of bugs hitting my windshield, I love pulling into a gas station, squeegeeing the windshield clean, and, and there's a, that feeling of just driving away with a clear windshield. You see, because clarity, for me, it brings a sense of calm. I like clarity in my life. It brings a sense of peace. And speaking of road trips, in the summer of 2021, our family took a trip up to Canada. So we flew into the Pacific Northwest, and during that trip, we actually took a road trip for a few days from the west coast of Canada, about 500 and some miles east, to Banff National Park. Banff is gorgeous. It is a beautiful part of the world. And some of the most picturesque lakes are located in Banff. Here's a picture of Moraine Lake in Banff National Park. Now, in case you're wondering, no, I did not use an Instagram filter on this picture. What you see is what we saw there at Moraine Lake. The water was that blue. The water was that clear. I, I love looking at clear water. It just brings a sense of peace and calm to me. Clarity does that for us. Now, yesterday, I thought it would never stop raining. It just kept raining and raining and raining. Every time I took my dog out for him to do his business, I'd have to bring him back in, dry him all off. Raining and raining nonstop. And after first service, I thought, the rains are done. But no, it kept raining and raining here between services. When the rains finally end, which we still have some days, there'll be the daunting task of cleaning up after the storms. In Santa Cruz, where my son Andrew lives, a pier was destroyed not too far from his home. Debris all over the coastline. In San Luis Obispo, where our daughter Amanda goes to school, downtown San Luis Obispo flooded. And she told us that people were seen kayaking down the streets in downtown San Luis Obispo. Even where we live in our neighborhood, we've seen downed trees, trees that have been uprooted, mud all over the curbs. So when I see mud, it's, it's an unsettling feeling to me. Because I just want to clean it up. I can't wait to clean things up. You know, there's a reason why we have phrases like, clear as mud. Right? It's as clear as mud. So if something is as clear as mud, it's confusing. It doesn't make sense. It's hard 
to grasp. Kind of like uh, instruction manuals. A lot of instruction manuals are just hard to grasp. They give us headaches. That's why most of us, we don't like to look at instruction manuals. But I, I dug out an old instruction manual for a standard cable TV remote. Okay, So I'm going to show you just one page of, I think, five or six pages. Okay, Take a look at this instruction manual. Now, I don't intend for you to read it, all right? Don't worry, you can't read it. But you see the remote control up in the upper left-hand corner, and you see just a bunch of words. And again, that's like one of maybe four or five pages. Headache. It's just confusing to look at instruction manuals like that. Now, I want you to see this next diagram. Get out. I want you to study this hard. So take a look at this next diagram. Now, at first glance, it might not seem like a whole lot's going on, but, but just kind of study it. Study this, what they call, ambihelical hex nut. Just look at it carefully, right? Is your mind playing tricks on you? Are your eyes playing tricks on you? Look at this item here. Just study it, okay? Then how about this one over here? It doesn't make sense, does it? The, dimensional, the dimensionality is all wrong in this diagram. It makes absolutely no sense. And I don't even know if there are such words as trichotometric or ambihelical. Okay. Well, guess what? This diagram is a parody. Somebody came up with this diagram as a joke. It's not meant to make sense. It's poking fun at all the diagrams out there, instruction manuals that are so confusing. So don't try to make sense of this. It's just a parody. The point is this. We like clarity. We like it when things make sense. It brings a sense of peace and calm. At least it does to me. And with that as our backdrop, I want to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19. Psalm 19. We're going to look at verse 7. The psalmist writes here in Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In other words, God's word makes even simple people to be wise. No matter a person's intellectual level, no matter a person's educational background, the truth of God's word can be understood. Now, we're going to stay in the Psalms and go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we'll look at verse 130. And here, the psalmist writes, The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The Word of God has a transforming power to bring light to anyone. I hope that brings you comfort. The Word of God has a transforming power to bring light to anybody. Now, does that mean that the Bible is always easy to understand? No. Some passages will be simple, plain, straightforward, 
easy to understand. Other passages will be a little bit more difficult to understand. But I want you to know this. The difficulty of understanding certain passages is not due to the notion that the Bible is inherently confusing. It's due to our shortcomings. I'll say that again. Difficult passages is not because the Bible itself is inherently confusing. It's due to our own shortcomings, which is why we're devoting this entire message to the clarity of God's word. The Bible is clear, and we can understand it, but it's going to require some things on our part. And before we look at those requirements this morning, I want to direct your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Last week, we looked at chapter 3. Today, in chapter 2, it says this. In verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Last week, we saw that all scripture is God-breathed, inspired by God. Here in chapter 2, Paul exhorts Timothy to correctly handle the word of truth. Now, Timothy was blessed. He was trained by his mother Eunice. He was trained in the word of God by his grandmother Lois. He was mentored by Paul himself. He was part of Paul's ministry. And yet, here, Paul exhorts Timothy. And he reminds him to do his best to present himself as one approved. Correctly handling the word of truth. Here's the point. If we're not intentional about our spiritual growth, here's what can happen. We might be more accustomed to loving the idea of growing spiritually than actually growing spiritually. We might become more accustomed to loving the idea of growing than actually growing. We might think to ourselves, oh, you know what? It's important to study God's word. We should study God's word. And we can preach that till we're blue in the face and say that it's important to know God's word. But if we keep doing that and saying that, we'll become more accustomed to paying attention to that idea rather than actually living that out in our lives. We might say things like, you know what? I did Bible memory verses when I was a kid. I've graduated from that. Now it's my kid's turn. Now it's my grandkids' turn. I'll just skim through the Bible during my uh, Bible verse for the day, and I'm good. But God wants so much more for us than just that. And so this morning, we're going to talk about four steps to understanding God's Word. Remember, the Bible is clear. We can understand it, but it's going to require things on our part. So here are four steps to understanding God's word. It begins with time. It begins with time. And I want to offer you some encouragement this morning. The Bible can be understood. It just won't happen all at once. The Bible can be understood. 
but it's not going to happen in four years, like as if you're going to college, and then you graduate college, and then you know everything you need to know about the Bible. In fact, understand the Bible, it won't even happen in 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years. It's a lifelong process. It's not going to happen all at once. In Psalm 1, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. And this principle of meditating on God's word day and night, it applies to us today just as much as it applied to the Jewish audience who spent day and night studying God's commandments. Today, you and I, we have the full scriptures. We have the Old Testament and we have the New Testament. And the principle remains the same for us today. We are to meditate on God's word. And it takes time. There is no substitute for time. And that holds true for anything in life, right? In order to get good at something, you have to make time to get good at that. It just doesn't happen magically. It just doesn't happen overnight. There's no shortcut to growing and learning. Two weeks ago, I learned that my former high school baseball coach at La Quinta High School in Westminster, California, Dave Demarest, was inducted into the prestigious American Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Fame. This is about the most prestigious Hall of Fame that any coach can be inducted into. He's the only coach from Southern California to be inducted into this Hall of Fame. Now, my former coach, Dave Demarest, he's the winningest coach in all of Orange County baseball history. And that is saying something because Orange County has some of the top teams in the state and the nation. In his 34 years as head coach, he won 753 games and lost only 213. That's a winning percentage of about 80%. And so when I learned that he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, I sent him a message of congratulations. And I said, Coach, I remember all the fond memories of all the practices and all the time that we spent doing drills together. And so in my senior year in high school, I played second base. For our team. My younger brother John was our third baseman, and every practice we'd have drills. We'd field ground balls, throw to bases, field ground balls, throw to bases, and there was this one drill where we would turn double plays that we did so routinely that every night I'd go to sleep with pictures of turning double plays. And it went like this. So, as a second baseman, I'd stand near second base, and I'd receive the throw from the third baseman or the shortstop. And I quickly transition the ball to my throwing hand. I pivot, and what I do is I throw to first base, and then I would hop. So catch, pivot, throw, and hop, all in one motion. So every night I go to sleep hopping. <laughs> but why would I hop? If you know anything about baseball, when you turn a double play, the goal of the base runner from first base is to slide hard into second base and pretty much put his spikes right on your 
chin to flip you over so that he would prevent you from turning a double play. So a critical part about turning double plays in practice, every, every ground ball was to catch, throw, and hop. So I went to sleep with that hop. Now, it's been nearly 36 years since I graduated from high school. 36 years. So you can do the math. You can figure out how old I am, okay? <laughs> but I remember that drill as if it was yesterday. Because we spent so much time doing those drills every single day, over and over again. It takes time to get good at something. It takes time to become good students of God's word. It's just not going to happen all at once. The Bible won't make sense if we don't make the time to get into it, to study it, and to learn it. Your attendance here on Sunday mornings, it's important. We come together weekly. We worship through song. We worship through prayer. We worship by opening God's word. It's wonderful. It's a great start to the week, but it should not be the end of the week. We have many wonderful groups that gather weekly during the week to come together and to study God's word together, to grow together. And I encourage you, if you've not found a group, Find a group here. Meet with them regularly. Encourage them. Grow together in your faith with them. It takes time. There's no substitute for time. There's a second step, and that's this. Effort. It takes effort to understand the clarity of God's word. Now, time and effort go hand in hand, but time and effort are also distinct. You see, it's possible to read words on a page for an entire hour and do it mindlessly. So you can spend the time, but unless you make the effort to learn it, it's just going to be an hour. So it's going to take our effort Growing in the knowledge of God's word, it takes work, discipline, diligence. That's why Paul said to Timothy, correctly handle. The term correctly handle, it was an agricultural term in the original language. It was associated with farming. So farmers, when they would plow fields, they would plow the straightest furrow possible. Where we live, there are many cornfields. I love driving past those cornfields and looking at the straight furrows. A farmer seeking to plow a field does one thing, cuts a straight line. The term correctly handles in the original Greek language means cut it straight. Paul says to Timothy, cut it straight. Accurately handle God's word. Now I'm going to give you a tip this morning that'll help get you on the right track whenever you open the Bible. Because sometimes it can be overwhelming. But here's one tip that I believe that if you apply every time you open the Bible, you'll be on the right track. 
And the tip is this. Start with then and there, not here and now. You've heard me say that over the years. Start with then and there, not here and now. If we want to understand God's word clearly, we need to start with the proper context. If we start with our own experiences, here's what happens. We bring our own culture, our own experiences, our own ideas of words and ideas, and then we insert them into the passage. That could lead to all kinds of misinterpretations. We need to first understand how the original audience heard it before we try to start applying it to our own lives. You know, our understanding of God's word and ultimately our response to God's word, it hinges on how well we can interpret God's word. And so begin with then and there. And that's all part of the process of what we call proper exegesis. You've heard me say that word before, exegesis, as opposed to eisegesis. Now, here's the difference. Exegesis is the careful study of Scripture to discover the original intended meaning. Eisegesis, that's interpreting Scripture in such a way as to introduce one's own presuppositions or biases. So you can look at it this way. Exegesis is to draw out from Scripture the intended meaning. Eisegesis is putting into it what is not there. And my guess is none of us practices eisegesis deliberately, but the reality is it's done, and it's done far too often. A passage cannot mean what it never intended to mean. A passage cannot mean what it never intended to mean. Now, there are universal principles that we can apply from generation to generation, but just make sure that those principles are applied to the appropriate situations. And I'm going to give you an example, and hopefully this will make things clear for you. One of the most quoted verses in all the Bible is, interestingly, one of the most misapplied verses in all the Bible. The statement goes like this. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a familiar phrase to many Christians. We see it on t-shirts, on hats, on coffee mugs. We even see it on athletic wear. You walk into a Christian bookstore, you can see it all over the place. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's a great passage. And at face value, it looks like a, such an encouraging, motivating passage. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse has been used to motivate people to study hard so they can get into that school. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This verse has been used to motivate people to overcome addictions. And this verse has been used to encourage people to bench press 500 pounds. I can do all things. Now, if we had to come up with one word to describe the message of this verse, 
I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Come up with one word based upon all the misapplications of this verse. The words that come to my mind would be conquer, victory, success. Those are the words that come to my mind that we can use to describe this phrase based solely on the misapplication of this phrase. But we might be surprised to find what the Word of God actually says in this passage. The phrase comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Philippians 4. And I'm going to start in verse 10 because it's always important to see the surrounding verses. I'll read Philippians 4, verse 10 to 13. And this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi. And he says this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I like the way the New International Version, the NIV, translated that last verse. I can do all this. Now, many of your translations says, say, I can do all things. And the word things is the literal translation of that Greek word. But you can see where the word things can be a little bit ambiguous. And so when people look only at verse 13 and pull it out by itself, they say, I can do all things. And they don't necessarily understand what Paul is talking about. Paul is a missionary. The church of Philippi was a partner in the gospel. At one point, they didn't have the opportunity to support him financially, but they did later on. So they sent him a gift. And Paul's letter to the Philippian church was his letter of thanks for their missionary gift. And he reminds them, he says, my partners, I want you to know this. At one time in my life, I was well-fed. I was full. My stomach was always full. I was rich. I was wealthy. I had everything. At other times, I was starving. I had no money. I was suffering. And then he says, no matter, no matter the financial situation, I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. So that's the context. That's the situation. And so, when we go into Philippians chapter 4 and we look at verse 13, if I were to choose one word to encapsulate the message of this one verse, it would not be conquer. It would not be victory. It would not be success. The one word that defines Philippians 4.13 is the word contentment. 
When I have little, I am content in Christ. If God blesses me with a lot, I'm content and I'm not greedy. That's the message of Philippians 4, verse 13. It's amazing how the word becomes clear when we make the effort to learn the message of the Bible. Remember, start with then and there, not here and now. Otherwise, we just put all of our biases into the passages. Let's go on to the third step of understanding God's word, and that is willingness to obey. Willingness to obey, because steps one and two ultimately won't matter if we aren't willing to obey. You can spend all the time reading God's word. You can make all the effort studying it. But if we're not willing to obey it, then ultimately, time and effort become a waste. We must be willing to obey. Again, earlier I said, if we're not careful, we'll become more accustomed to loving the idea of growing spiritually than actually growing spiritually. Growth is demonstrated by obedience. It's not demonstrated merely by time and effort. Growth is demonstrated by obedience. You show me someone who is walking in Christ and living out the gospel, and you show me someone who has grown spiritually. I want to turn to Matthew 7. I invite you to turn there. Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27. Now, this passage, it's so timely for our situation here in Southern California. I didn't, I didn't intend for this to happen. It just happened. Okay? But this is an appropriate passage for what we've been experiencing in our part of the world with all these storms. Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Two houses can look equally secure in dry weather. The true test comes when the weather turns bad. During the New Testament times in Palestine, uh, that area was known for torrential rains. And so smart builders would choose the, the most solid foundation. And here's the point of that parable. The good foundation is obedience to the words of Jesus. That's the good foundation. Obedience. The good foundation is not just merely time and effort. It's obedience to the words of Jesus. The wise person puts the words of Jesus into practice. On October 29th, 2012, that's just over 10 years ago, there was a daring rescue off the coast of North Carolina during 
Hurricane Sandy. Do you remember Hurricane Sandy? Devastating hurricane a decade ago. And during the storm, the HMS Bounty, a 180-foot sailboat, a replica of the original Bounty, was caught in the storm off the coast of North Carolina. I want to show you an image of the sinking ship. So this was taken from the air during the heart of Hurricane Sandy. And the ship was sinking. It had 16 crew members on board. They all had to abandon ship. The Coast Guard was deployed. So a helicopter was sent, and it flew over the sinking bounty. 16 crew members abandoned ship, waiting and hoping to be rescued. And so the Coast Guard helicopter arrived in 90-mile-per-hour winds. Now, can you imagine the skill of the pilot of the helicopter? And then all the Coast Guard officers on board. And then one particular Coast Guard officer, he was tasked with the responsibility of being lowered by rope and bringing up crew member after crew member. When all was said and done, unfortunately, two of the crew members uh, had died. They could not be rescued. But 14 of the 16 found their way up into the helicopter because of the expertise and the bravery of these Coast Guard officers. Can you imagine being that officer being lowered every time in 90 mile per hour winds and coming up with another crew member? Do you think that the Coast Guard officers spent all their time in a classroom just reading manuals on rescues out of sea? Of course not. They spent countless hours and weeks and months and years training for just that scenario. Again, the difference between two foundations is that one, the wise person, put it into action, obeyed the words of Jesus. It's not enough just to study. It's not enough just to know. We must have the willingness to obey. That brings us to the fourth and final step, and that's this. Humble reliance on the Holy Spirit. Reading and studying God's Word is a spiritual exercise, so it goes without saying that we need the Spirit of God to help us understand the Word of God. This is what it says in John 14, verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Jesus was saying to his disciples these words of comfort shortly before he was to leave them. Now, Jesus had a broader picture in mind than just the, con the immediate comfort of his disciples. He knew that they had a mission. They were going to carry out his mission. And here we are today. 
in the 21st century with the same Holy Spirit residing in us, teaching us, convicting us, growing us. And the good news is this. If you're feeling insecure today about your understanding of God's word, I want you to know you are not alone. Please know that. It's so tempting for you and for me to come to church and to think, well, so many other people know so much more about the Bible. I feel so uh, inferior when it comes to my knowledge of the Bible. I want you to know that you are not alone and that everyone else feels the same way. If this is any encouragement to you, there are things that I'm learning about certain passages today that I saw, that I thought so differently about 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago. I'm constantly learning as I'm growing in my knowledge of God's word. It's okay. If you feel like, you know, I don't know the Bible that well. Again, it's going to take a lifetime of growth. And it begins with making the time, making the effort, be willing to obey it. And it's going to require a humble reliance. I'm thankful that I'm part of a church family that does not have the mentality that we know it all. I'm so thankful to be part of such a church family. Our leaders want to grow. They want to continue to grow in their understanding of God's word. We don't have all the answers, but that's why we can grow together in the knowledge of his word. And if we do these things in 2023, then we're going to experience revival in our lives and in our church in ways that we've never experienced. Time, effort, willingness to obey, and humble reliance on the Holy Spirit. We're well on our way to understanding God's word. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for teaching us from your word every week. Father, I pray that you would give us the, the motivation and the discipline this week to make the time to get into your word, make the effort to study what it says, that we would apply it and obey it, and that we would be humbly reliant on your spirit. Thank you, God. We love your word. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.